Hello and welcome to the Rocky Peak Young Adults Podcast. We meet Sunday nights at 7.30 at the church at Rocky Peak. For info on upcoming events, find us on Instagram at rpyoungadults. Enjoy the message. I want to do something that might be a little bit unusual to start off a sermon. Um, I just want to read, start out by reading uh, straight from Scripture. Um, So uh, you don't have to look it up. You can go ahead and just... Listen, if you prefer, close your eyes and just um, let God's word uh, just speak to you. Close your eyes, don't worry, I'm not going to steal your wallet. Your wallet is safe. Uh, Let me go ahead and read. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, transitioning a little bit. Um, So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Wozniki. Um... I was here last week, and in case you didn't realize, we are actually in between a couple of series. Uh, The last few weeks, you were in a series called Things They Don't Teach You in Sunday School or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things They Didn't Tell You in Sunday School. Um, We sort of cover different biblical stories, which are pretty well known from like slightly different angles. Um, Pretty soon after Easter, you're going to jump into a brand new series Uh, But in the meantime, uh, Kelly asked me to come and just share something with you guys. So I was just praying about what it is that the Lord wanted me to communicate to you. And um, he brought me to the oh-so-cheerful topic of depression. Um, Why depression? Well, first off, because there's 255 days left till Christmas. And that's uh, pretty depressing, uh, if you think about it. Um, No, but really, uh, depression... Um, I want to talk about it because it's an important topic, um, and you might be thinking, like, why? Like, why actually bring it up? Um, it might be the last thing on your mind. It's school year's almost ending. Um, maybe you're thinking, like, summer is almost here, and if not summer, at least spring break is almost here. Maybe you're graduating. You're just looking forward to life in the summer or life after school. Um, maybe for you, your school year isn't ending. For me, I only have about, like, four weeks left of teaching, so... That feels good because I'll be able to jump right into summer. Um, But if you're wondering, like, why are we going to talk about depression? Uh, I have two things for you. 
First, have you ever heard of that song, Summertime Sadness? Elan Delray. Um, that has nothing to do with depression, but it just has the words uh, sadness and summer in it. So um, that's completely irre- irrelevant. Uh, second, uh, the actual reason is that the end of the school year, and I know most of us um, are sort of coming to that time of the year, can actually be a very vulnerable time. It can be a time where uh, we're vulnerable to spiritual attack. Um, it can be a time when it's really hard to engage with community in a really meaningful way, unless you're very intentional about pursuing it, right? Projects, finals, research papers, um, all of that can force you to sort of put life group and community church, God, sort of on the back burner, or at least, if it doesn't go on the back burner, to take it a little bit less seriously. Um, So that's one reason. But the other reason I wanted to talk to you about that tonight is that we don't actually talk about this a lot in the church. Um, It's a topic that's sort of off limits, sort of taboo. And I think part of the reason is that we carry around this false belief that if you're a Christian, you should not be depressed. Right? And that's, that's a false, false belief. So uh, we don't talk about it a lot, even though it's very real for a lot of people. Um, and it's a lot more common than you think. And some of the signs aren't necessarily easy to spot, but it's helpful to be aware of them. Uh, so, for example, some of the signs are feelings of hopelessness, lack of interest in the things that you used to love, anxiety, loss of appetite, obsession over work or working out. It seems to be very common, especially... Uh, with guys, or uncontrollable emotions. So all of these things uh, are also marked by a lack of feeling, right? Apathy is sort of the key word. Apathy towards yourself, apathy towards life, towards the things you used to love. Um, So there's that side of depression. But there's also a second side, um, which I'm calling spiritual depression. Uh, And that's the topic I actually want to camp out on tonight. And Spiritual depression isn't actually the same thing as, um, as depression, right? Psychological depression is a medical condition which needs medical attention or professional help. Um, so don't hear me wrong. Like, these two things are not exactly the same. Um, they're different issues, but there are a lot of similarities. There are a lot of similarities. So the question is, what does spiritual depression actually look like? it looks like a lot of the same things that psychological or physiological depression looks like. Feelings of shame, anxiety, guilt. Uh, When it comes to God, there's a a lack of a desire to actually pursue God, uh, a lack of desire to be in the Word, a lack of desire to come to church. Really, spiritual depression is marked by a feeling uh, as though God is absent, as though no matter what you do, no matter what you want, God just feels absent. And in general, this, this apathy or lack of feeling um, towards God or anything spiritual, that's what spiritual depression, what I'm calling it, is. So there's a bunch of things that can cause it. There's a bunch of things that can cause it. Um, one is unrepentant sin. might be at the root of it. Um, it could be something physiological. Uh, it could be an attack of the enemy. It could be that you just came down from a spiritual high or it could be just sort of the natural course of life. Now, regardless of where the source is, uh, the fact is that when you're actually in that spot, it feels terrible because you don't want to be apathetic towards God. You really do want to feel him, but everything you try, you just can't. Right? And that's, that's how the psalmist describes what he was feeling. Um, so, for example, he says, 
My tears have been my food day and night. He says, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed? He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why are you forgotten me? The foes taunt him, saying, where is your God? And he feels that. So when you read this psalm, um, you really begin to sense uh, uh, his sense of sadness and despair just running, running through um, this entire poem that uh, the psalmist is writing. And there's a real sense of urgency there. Right? He really wants to seek God. He remembers these times when he used to be with God and like it was awesome and it was great. Uh, and he wants to believe that God is really there, but he can't. His soul is downcast. His soul is disturbed. Right? He feels as though God has abandoned him. And it's not just that he, uh, he doesn't feel God's presence. Notice this. He feels God's absence. Right? If you've been there, those are two very different things, right? God tangibly feels like he's absent. Right? And when you read this, you sense that um, the psalmist is really sad, right? Sadder than like the opening scene of Up. Um, it's pretty sad. Sadder than um, when your uh, Insta homies group uh, on Instagram, your chat group, kicks you out because uh, you only post dog memes. Um, <laughs> Sadder than wanting Chick-fil-A and then finding out it's Sunday. Terribly sad, right? Um, So all these sad feelings, right? And and the psalmist is shedding these tears um, all day and night. And that's just one example of this sort of feelings uh, in Scripture. And they're all throughout Scripture, right? Tonight, we're going to look at one specific story. um, And then after looking at that, I'm going to give some helpful things to remember uh, so that we can face, um, so that whenever we do face it, if we do face it, um, that we can just sort of make our way through it with the Lord. So let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, um, I thank you that you are here with us tonight, God. Uh, No matter what we may be feeling, God, no matter whether we sense you or not, God, we can trust that you are here We can trust that you are here because your people are worshiping you. God, we can trust that you are here because your word um, is being proclaimed, God, and we just um, rest on that objective fact that you are with us. Lord, I pray that um, as we read scripture, as we talk about your word, um, that you would just illuminate it for us, God, that you would speak clearly to us um, wherever we might be at tonight, Lord, whether we're in a spiritual high or a low Lord, that you would speak to us, um, and that you would speak through me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so, it's probably not the best way to start a topic like this. Um, I'll probably lose some of you with my next sentence. But, Aristotle says, <laughs> Aristotle says that there are two kinds of stories, two kinds of stories, comedies and tragedies. According to Aristotle, a comedy is a story where a uh, character experiences a reversal of fortune from good, from bad to good. So that's a comedy, from bad to good. So a comedy can be funny. Like, uh, a comedy I like, or I think is kind of funny, is Nacho Libre. Um, Fat Monk with crushed dreams becomes a wrestling hero. Uh, It's funny. It involves, like, a reversal of fortune. Uh, His life is turned around. Um, But what Aristotle calls comedies don't always have to be funny. Like, comedies don't always have to be funny. They're just about a reversal um, of fortune. 
So an example of that is like any Adam Sandler movie, right? Like not funny. Um, that's why they go straight to Netflix. Um, but they're comedies. Technic technically speaking, they're comedies. All right. So um, that's one type of story. The other type of story is a tragedy. Um, and it's the opposite of a, a comedy. Basically, uh, the character undergoes a reversal of fortune where things start out really well and then end really bad. So sort of the ultimate example of this is the Titanic, <clears throat> the movie The Titanic, right? Starts with this amazing ship, uh, ends up totally wrecked. Uh, another example is The Notebook. Notebook, um, it's tragic that it was made in the first place. Um, actually, I was thinking about that. It might actually be a comedy. Not that it's, like, funny when they, like, both die at the end. Um, spoiler alert, but, like, that's kind of, like, um, a good good thing for them? They kind of wanted that? Um, I don't know. Anyway, so um, there are other examples. And the fact is, like, we're drawn to tragic stories, um, even though they're sad. But, like, why are we drawn to them? I think part of the reason is that they reflect something about our own lives. So, like, comedies or tragedies reflect something about our own lives, namely that our lives involve uh, moments of uh, or seasons, uh, to bring it back to sort of the series that we've been in, as a church, uh, of tragedy. Right? One moment you feel like you're on top of the world. Next moment you're really down. One moment everything is going great in life. Everything seems to be working out. Things are lining up for you. Um, how many of you have been there, right? Every just, everything just feels awesome. Um, everything is awesome, all right? So uh, those moments feel great. But then the next moment, life can really just suck. Like everything you do goes wrong, you fail a class, you get dumped, um, your job can't give you more hours, somebody passes away, and it's a pattern, pa this pattern of like ups and downs, and it's reflected in movies. Again, think of Titanic, right? One moment, Jack is on the bow of, of the ship, literally saying like, I'm king of the world, right? Like literally feeling like he's on top of the world. He feels great, he's in love, he feels alive, Next moment, right, he's not on top of the world anymore, right? He's literally dead on the bottom of the ocean. Um, that's like the ultimate reversal of fortune. Um, and our spiritual walks uh, with God can be like that too, right? One moment things are going awesome. Um, you're seeking him, you're passionate, you're opening up the word. Every time you read it, you feel like God is really speaking to you. You're learning new things at uh, YA and Life Group. Um, you feel so near to God, just like all day long, you feel like you're in his presence, uh, you're experiencing growth, and like the only way to describe it is that you're on fire, right? Next moment, though, maybe a few days later, a few weeks, months later, um, feel like you can't encounter him. Uh, life group feels like a chore. Your prayers feel like they're just hitting the ceiling, right? You're spiritually depressed. All you feel is apathy towards anything spiritual. You don't feel anything anymore. In fact, that's one of the most common patterns of spiritual depression is that your life is going great. Maybe you encounter him at camp. He's growing you. Um, you experience him on a mission trip. Next thing you know, you could really care less about your walk with God, even if you want to. But you feel like you just can't, and that's spiritual depression. Um, and it's actually a typical pattern. It's a pattern we see in 1 Kings 18. So if you have your Bibles um, or apps, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, 
Now, the whole story is actually in 18 and 19. Um, so I'll be focusing. It's a lot to read, 18 and 19. I'll just be uh, picking at parts of it. So tonight we're looking at the story of Elijah. Elijah is a prophet, and um, <clears throat> Elijah picked a really bad time in history to be a prophet. Actually, there's no good time in history uh, to be a prophet. Um, so as a prophet, his job was to speak on behalf of God to kings. Basically, he was the guy who called out kings when they were being unjust or unrighteous or idolatrous. So basically, his job was to call really powerful, important people out when they were doing bad things. So God tells Elijah, go to King Ahab. And this is the same king who had been killing the prophets. Right? And I want you to understand how scary this is. This would be like a person of color walking into like a KKK meeting and being like, hey, stop like hating on minorities. Right? That's, you, you're afraid to do that because that's not going to end well. And that's what Elijah's thinking. Like He's going to tell this guy who's been killing the prophets to be like, hey, God says uh, you shouldn't do that anymore. All right, so this is a terrifying thing. So, um, so he does that, and um, <clears throat> the Lord actually has him challenge the king to a contest. Um, and basically, the, the, the king's men, the false prophets, uh, there are about 800 of them, go head-to-head against Elijah, and the Lord instructs them to set up two different altars. And whoever is the real God would send fire from heaven and burn down everything, all the sacrifices on the altars. So um, it's actually a pretty interesting story. But basically, the prophets, they, um, the false prophets pray and pray and pray, and, and nothing happens. Uh, and then Elijah prays, and um, immediately fire consumes the entire sacrifice. So the prophets, they lose. They look like fools. Uh, Elijah wins. God has proven to be the real God. Uh, and it's a huge victory for God and Elijah. And Elijah, you could think of this as a real sort of spiritual high point. Um, and by the way, the people believe in God again, and um, they kill all the false prophets. Um, happy ending to that story. So, um, so he hits this spiritual high, and then he starts to spiral down. The first thing that he does is that he just passes out exhausted after this event. He falls to the ground and puts his face uh, between his knees. Um, I'm reading out of 19, chapter 3, uh, or verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. <clears throat> when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. There he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So Elijah is starting to display some of the, um, the characteristics of spiritual depression. Right? He desires to just spend all day sleeping. He doesn't feel like doing anything. Um, he has no desire to eat. He only gets up because he has to eat. Right? And then he goes uh, back to sleep. And then when he goes up, gets back up, he actually goes to an even darker place, um, like literally darker place, not um, emotionally, uh, to go sleep more. So um, verse 7, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, 
for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. So he goes in there, and then God shows up. And God basically says to him, what are you doing here? And Elijah responds uh, by showing in other signs of spiritual depression. He starts moping. He starts um, sort of complaining and just uh, being sort of critical. Verse 10, it says, um, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're killing me. They're going to kill me. They're trying to kill me, too. So God knows exactly what Elijah needs at this moment. God says to Elijah, get out of this cave. I'm about to show up. And we see that in the next verse. It says, Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was there, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God knows exactly what Elijah needs in this moment. God reminds Elijah that he's present, right? And he gives him a task. He gives him a commission. Verse 15, he says, Go back to the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint uh, Hazael king over Aram. Right, so he gives him a task. And then he reminds him that there's other believers. Verse 18, it says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So then Elijah gets up and he goes his way. And that's the story of Elijah. And really, it's not that unusual of a story. Um, not unusual to experience something like that. I mean, the fire and all that stuff is, and like the wind and the earthquake and the silent voice, that is pretty unusual. Um, but to go from those experiences of um, going from an intense spiritual high to a state of just an utter spiritual low, that is not strange. Um, as I mentioned before, it's a pretty common pattern. You go to camp, um, go to a mission trip, uh, you have this huge season of growth, and then a low. To be honest with you, um, <clears throat> that is uh, sort of how I'm feeling. Um, and it's weird, because like, in this stage of life, everything's going really well. Um, my wife loves her job. Our daughter's at a really fun age. Um, I'm making progress uh, in school. I'm about to go to Uganda, um, do some other trips in the summer, which I'm really sort of excited about. I'm in an awesome life group. And life just is, like, good. Like, objectively speaking, life looks good. Um, but the truth is that that's not how it feels for me. Um, and I don't know what it is. Um, something just feels off. It's felt off for a while. Um, and every about month or so, I get like a glimmer of hope that like I'm going to come out of this low and like I'm going to hit a spiritual high again. Um, it feels like there's going to be a breakthrough. And uh, when there is, those breakthroughs don't seem to last for a long time. 
Uh, and then I'm hit again with apathy, apathy towards work, towards uh, life, towards God. And sometimes it's hard to spend time with God. It's hard to want to be in the Word, um, to read the Bible, to pray. Sometimes uh, worship feels like karaoke with flashing lights. Um, but then I had a breakthrough recently. Um, I was going on a long run, and uh, my water ran out because my stupid water bottle was leaking. And um, I'm like, it's too hot. It was hot this week. And I was like, I can't finish this run uh, without water, so I'm just going to hike it. And I really felt like the Lord was saying, like, I'm going to force you to spend time with me. I'm going to force you to process these things uh, with me. Um, and it was good because sort of in light of what uh, Dre was talking about a few weeks ago, um, I was able to be, like, really transparent and open and authentic with the Lord about um, where I was at with him. And I feel like maybe that's a catalyst. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be lasting. I'm not sure if it's going to be one of those breakthroughs where it's like it's a breakthrough for a while and then fizzles out. I'm not sure if I'm going to go back to not like desiring God all the time. Um, I don't know if I'm going to feel guilty and anxious and ashamed about not desiring God as much as I think I should. Um, but that's sort of what like spiritual depression looks like. Feelings of anxiety, guilt, and shame because you think you should be somewhere else, but you're not where you think you should be. Right? And I'll be honest with you, seasons of these ups and downs, um, those are like part of life. Those are actually a part of life. But here's the important thing, uh, at least for me, is that I'm aware of it. Right? And that's really important. And that's part of what Dre was talking about a few weeks ago if you were um, in in. Sunday morning and Saturday night services, um, that we can just be open and transparent with God and just like tell him how we feel and where we're at. Um, so that's really important to be able to communicate that to God. And if you currently find yourself in a spot like that, um, or if you find yourself in a spot like that someday, the first step to actually dealing with it is going to be to be open with it, to be aware of it. Now, I don't know where any of you are. Uh, I know where some of you are, but um, I don't know where all of you are at. Uh, maybe some of you guys are in a season where, like, things are not going great. You feel this apathy. You feel the spiritual depression. Um, you just can't feel God no matter how much you want to. Um, now, others of you might just be, like, in a really great season. Uh, things are just going awesome. You feel like, God, you're meeting God every single time. Um, and that's great. But the reality is, at some point in your life, you are going to feel the spiritual low. Uh, and what I want to draw out of this story is just a couple of principles uh, for how to deal with spiritual depression when it stri strikes. So uh, here are three things you need to remember <clears throat> when going through the spiritual depression. First thing is, take a nap and eat some food. Um, no, that's not... Uh, the actual fill-in, but the reality is uh, naps do solve everything, or almost everything. Um, no, but really, uh, the fact is um, that you might genuinely be physically and mentally exhausted, right? God uh, created us as, a, and this is a big fancy term, psychosomatic unities. Basically, what that means um, is that we're fully physical beings, and we're also fully spiritual beings. Right? And the spiritual affects the physical, and the physical affects the spiritual. 
And literally what you might need to get out of this rut is good rest. You just need to, like, sleep. Um, it's kind of what, like, Elijah does. Like, he just goes to sleep. And what does the Lord give him? Cake. Right? The Lord gives him bread cake. Um, but seriously, uh, the first thing you need to remember, and this is uh, one of your fill-ins if you're taking notes, is that you have a community. You have a community. And <clears throat> this is actually the last thing that God reminds Elijah of. He tells him that you feel like you're alone. You feel like you might be the only person who's getting persecuted. Uh, but you aren't. I have thousands of believers out there who are facing what you're facing, who are feeling what you're feeling. So even though you feel alone in where you're at, you're not actually alone. And God says that to us as well. When we're feeling this spiritual depression, uh, it's really easy to feel like you're alone, like you're the only person who ever has felt this way. And you're probably ashamed of it. You're thinking, like, why, why me? Like, if I share this with people, are people going to look down on me? Are they going to judge me for not being passionate about God? Um, most Christians don't want to admit that they feel this way because we feel like it's wrong to feel this way. But the reality is this is normal, and everybody's going to go through it uh, at some point in life. It doesn't make you any less spiritual. In fact, some of the most spiritual people spent long times feeling this way. So look at how Mother Teresa describes a season in her life. <clears throat> she says, I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. No one on whom I can cling. No, no one. Alone. Where is my faith? Even deep down right in there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd in my heart and make me suffer untold agony. So this is Mother Teresa, like somebody that is obviously known for being super spiritual, for super being super well connected to God. And this is how she felt at some point in her life. Right, so this is a part, thing that everybody goes through. Um, so God has given us a community to process these things with. You're not meant to do it on your own. You're not meant to do life on your own. You're not meant to process these things by yourself. It's not something to be ashamed of. If you're experiencing this, uh, bring that to your life group. Right, share that with your life group leader. Your community might not be able to fix it, and they probably won't be able to fix it, but it can be there for you. So you need to remember that you're not actually alone. You have a community. The second thing you need to remember is that you have a commission. You have a commission. See, when Elijah is depressed, God says to him, get up, I have something important for you to do. Right? You might think, that's kind of like insensitive. Like, but that, no, that's not. God's not being like, hey, stop crying, like get up, like stop moping around. That's not what God says. It might sound like it, but that's not what God is saying. Um, God is giving him exactly what he needs, and he knows that Elijah needs a sense of purpose. Elijah needs motivation. Elijah needs something to live for. And that's exactly what God gives us. That's exactly what God gives us. So when you're spiritually depressed, it's really easy to turn in on yourself um, and to make things about me all about me, me, me. But life isn't about you. As hard as that might sound, life isn't about you. Life is about God and his glory. The Westminster Catechism, um, it's an older, um, it's an older sort of classical text. Um, 
of instructions for like newer Christian. Uh, it, it starts out by asking this question. It asks, what is the chief end of humans? Basically meaning like, what, are, what is the purpose of humans? Like, what is their goal? What are they all about? Um, and the answer to that question, what is the chief end of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we were created. So when life becomes all about you, right, when you turn in on yourself, it's going to start to feel aimless. Why is that? Well, it's because God didn't make you to be all about yourself. Right? God says, no, no, it's not all about you. I have a purpose for you. You're so valuable to me that I have a task for you. Right? I have a role for you to play in this grand story of restoring the world. Right? This task, like it goes through a bunch of different names, but... Um, it goes by the Great Commission. That's like one of the ways that we designate this task, right? God says, I have a purpose for you, and that purpose is to disciple all nations. Uh, and that actually starts with your classmates, your coworkers, people in your family, right? That task is to declare the fact that Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is Lord over every square inch of life. Okay, so God has a task for you, and that task is too important for you not to jump into it when you're feeling spiritually depressed, you need to remember that your life has a purpose and that your purpose is to make his name known. Right? And you have a very vital role in that. God has called you to that. All right, the last thing, um, number three, is you have Christ. You have Christ. So in the Elijah story, um, there's a point when things start to change. And that point is when he fully sensed God's presence. That's when things started to change for him. Now, the problem with that is that um, when you're depressed, you can't feel God, right? Part of that is because you're used to experiencing him in specific kinds of ways, um, and you can no longer feel him in those kinds of ways. And it's the same thing with Elijah. He's used to meeting with God in very specific ways. In fact, all these ways have precedence um, earlier in the Old Testament for how God would show up to his people, the earthquake, the fire, the wind, all those things, um, specifically the location. It's, it's actually a really interesting connection. Um, but the way that God revealed himself to Elijah was a brand new way. Right? It's a way that he would have never expected. Right? God revealed himself in a very hard-to-notice way. Right? He, he revealed himself in a still, quiet voice. Not these big, flashy appearances, but in a still, quiet voice. So when you're going through a hard season, it might be really hard to sense him, but he's still there. He just might be there in ways that you're not used to, in ways that you're not expecting. But that's who God is. Like, that's part of God's character. Think about how God has revealed himself most fully. It's on the cross, who would have ever imagined that God himself would reveal himself by dying the death of a Roman criminal? Who would have ever expected that? Right? But the cross is where God is most revealed. The cross is where we most fully see God's glory and his love and his care for his people. But nobody would have ever imagined that the great, powerful, transcendent God would meet us in such a lowly place. But that's who God is. And it takes certain eyes to see God in those hard-to-see places. So God is there. He's just there in ways that you won't expect. So you just have to trust that he's present. 
even if you don't see him, even if you don't feel him. See, God has given you a community. He's given you a commission. Most importantly, he's given you himself. In fact, the, the secret to getting past the spiritual depression is remembering that he has given himself to you as your savior. The psalmist knew this. I'm going to reread Psalm 42, uh, just verse 11. Psalm 42, verse 11. I'm going to reread that. And it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Notice how he ends it. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My Savior and my God. When your soul is downcast, like the psalmist is, when you don't feel God, when you don't desire God, you need, to make the ch- you need to make the choice. You might not feel like it. You need to make the choice to remember that he's your Savior. Whether you feel it or not, he saved you from your sins. He's washed you clean. He's rescued you. He's forgiven you. He is your Savior. Even when you're spiritually depressed, depressed you need to cling to Jesus even if you don't feel like it. Because the reality is he's the only one who can pull you up. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, um, we thank you that you are our Savior. Lord, that if we have put our faith in you, that you have rescued us, there is no condemnation for us. Lord, even when we don't feel like you're present with us, God, that we know that you love us and you care for us, that is an objective fact. Lord, I pray that um, anybody who might be in a low point in the season of their life, anybody who might be having a hard time feeling you, Lord, um, that they would just fully trust you in this period. They would cling to you. They would cling to the fact that you have given yourself to them. They would cling to the fact that you show up especially in the moments of darkness, especially when it looks like nothing is going right, especially when it feels like you're absent, God. That's what Jesus felt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that is the precise moment when God was doing his greatest work. Lord, so I pray that that we would trust you, that we would lean into you.